Welcome to Research Hole, a podcast where I talk to artists about the research holes we fall down on the way to our projects. I'm Val Howlett, and I'm back today with Leah Felicity Lucci to talk about Inez Milholland. This is actually an episode that I cut into two parts because I had way too much to say, and this is part two. You might hear from me, Val from the future, a little bit. I might pop in here or there to share a quote or a poem that was not at my fingertips when I recorded initially, but I swear does add to the true story of Inez. Okay, so where did we last leave off? Inez was a college girl. She was going to Vassar, and every summer she was going back to England where her parents had a flat, and she was getting radicalized by the militant suffrage group that existed in the UK, run by Emmeline Pankhurst. So this was a group that, instead of doing what the US people were doing, which was like working with politicians, giving lecture tours, these women in the UK were protesting, they were breaking store windows sometimes, they were holding signs, they were interrupting parliament and generally just making their presence known, forcing themselves in. And they were making a lot of news too. So Inez was wondering why we weren't doing that in the US. And I'm about to tell you a little bit more about how the US suffrage looked at the time. Especially, there were like two waves of the suffrage movement. There was like the old wave, which was like the Susan B. Anthony's. Although by this point, Susan B. Anthony is fully dead. Like, it was an 80-year movement. It got started in the 1870s. Like, it's been going on for a long time. But there was this sort of old, old vibe about suffrage that was in the popular media that, like, suffragettes were old, like, frumpy women to make fun of. Right. Um, and basically, it was, like, a lot of coded lesbian shit. Sure. Like, it was, like, these women want to be men, you know? Um, and like, look at these mannish women like trying to vote. Like, ew. <laughs> and <laughs> and here comes Inez, who's like famous hottie, and um, the newspapers are like, oh, like this is a pretty suffragette. Like, what? And around the time that um, Inez is coming up in the world, there's like this new wave of younger suffragettes who spent some time in England at some point and were like radicalized by England, who like want to picket, who like want to do like public spectacle shit. And uh, Alice Paul is like the leader of that new wave. Mm -hmm. Alice Paul is also, they're all like in their 20s too, which is kind of amazing. Um, So Alice Paul is like, oh, like I need this bitch in every protest because... If she is in a protest or like a suffrage, like it's gonna get covered. Ex- exactly. But then the coverage would be like Hottie McCotterson, like Inez Mulholland was like looking hot at the suffrage <laughs> <laughs> parade. You know, like it was not great coverage, but it she was brought something. the sex too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they made her like kind of like an informal PR person. I mean, I guess you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, like it was it was smart. It was like a very pragmatic move. Like this is a duh thing, but also like a thing that kind of blows one's mind is like you had to convince people to vote for you who were none of them were women. 
Mm-hmm. Like you had to convince the majority of men that women should vote because men vote. Men can make it happen. Right. You you can't make any win. All you can do is pressure men. Right. Right. Which that sucks. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And is really hard. And like is a smart way to pressure men is to like get a really hot woman involved. They're like, whoa, if this is the kind of girl that wants to vote, maybe I'll let her. Hey, yeah. you, you want to vote it's, with me, girl? It's really weird. And like, here's a quote from Inez. This was when her mom was like, maybe you're buying too many dresses. <laughs> because also remember, her family is like not doing as well as they should be because like pneumatic tubes are kind of stalling out. Um, and Would you say that they're, that the fad was going down the tubes. <laughs> that is why you're here. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Yeah, her mom is like, look, like we can't just pretend we're like so loaded. We're trying to support this like way too big farm in the Adirondacks. <laughs> the that no farm that no one lives in for some reason. We're trying to support that shit. It's kind of like <laughs> owning a boat, right? Like nobody ever uses the boat. <laughs> Apparently, all of John's relatives, because John was one of like 12 kids or something, like a lot of kids, they all live on the farm because they are poor. <laughs> oh, my God. So they're like, OK, yeah, we'll live there. Um, so they have I, this like house full of like John's like poor relatives. I want to go it. like full Susie Orman and be like, can you afford this? <laughs> I know, I know. And yeah, and Jean is like, also, we have our flat in London. Um, and she's like, you can't just buy every dress, you know? Um, oh, and how then, else am I going to get suffrage? Well, this is this is what she says to her mom. This is her reply. One magazine said lately that I was one of the most artistically gowned public women in America. Now, mother, don't you see that there are heaps of people who will come to hear me because I am reported a beauty, magnetic, artistic, up to date? Uh, see, mom? Back She's to like, the mall. I gotta buy dresses for the cause. <laughs> and I, I think she really believed that. Like, I think she sort of was like, this is... This is like it's like weird, right? Because it's like kind of depressing. Like her beauty is gonna go away someday. Oh no! Um, I don't like and- that plot twist at all. I thought this was a fun podcast. <laughs> oh, buckle up. Well, I'm just saying, like with age, one's beauty changes. Like you can't be hot forever. Like even if you're like a silver fox, like counter it's argument. <laughs> Helen Mirren. <laughs> you're right. There are a lot of counter arguments. But, you know but anyway, no, about. I know what you're saying. It's not the same. No, it's not. <sighs> <sighs> yeah. And, and, and yet she's like, this is the way I can contribute to the world. Which is interesting. Like, I think, I think certainly to some degree she liked it. That's flattering. I guess the other side of her is that so she wants to be self-sustaining, right? She wants to be her own working woman. So she tries to go to law school, um, which is really hard to do at the time. Like, uh, As a woman or as a person? As a Just woman. Just generally. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, so 
here's a stat for you. In 1910, a mere 558 of 114,704 <gasps> lawyers and judges were female. Whoa. And that's compared to more than 9,000 women among 151,000 physicians. So like... It was hard to break into any professional field that wasn't like school teacher. Sure. As a woman, but like law was like extra hard. Like like we had broken into other fields before we broke into law. Okay. And part of the reason for that is like people saw women as unfit for the courtroom. Like there was this sort of decency thing going on where they were like Women, like, their constitutions, like, they can't be around these murderers. They're gonna faint. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, it's improper. Like, women couldn't, I think, be, like, a criminal trial law law, lawyer for murder for, like, a really long time. Um, Well, yeah. What if, like, their uterus makes them faint or whatever? Right. Exactly. And so, poor Inez, the reason she wants to go into law... Like Alice Paul, the head of the new wave of suffrage, also went into law because if you're trying to change a law, like it helps to know the law. Like, sure, yeah. Like suffragists became lawyers to try and like be as knowledgeable as possible about how to make this happen. Sure. And Inez really wanted to be like the first lawyer at like Har- Harvard Law School. Aww. The first female lawyer. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. She applies to Harvard. She writes an impassioned letter to them. It's like it's basically like a debate on paper about why Harvard should break the gender barrier. Um, she brought the trustees a bouquet in the suffrage colors of purple, white, and green. Oh my God. Um, she was like campaigning for herself real hard, but they were like, nah. Um, Aww. So she didn't get into Harvard. She went to NYU and... Uh, she was elected the class VP of NYU. Our, wow. Our law class. Yeah. There were 10 women and 128 men. Good for her. All of the all of the suffrage leaders were like one issue ladies. So like Alice Paul and people like that were like suffrage alone, you know. And there are, there are some great suffragists who you don't know as suffragists because they were like into a lot of issues at once. Um and there were people like Alice Paul who was like only suffrage, like all suffrage all the time. That um, was her thing. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you need both. Um, but suffragists always like were weird about her law stuff because they were like, this is taking time away from your important suffrage work, which is unpaid. Well, did she make a lot of money as a lawyer? No, she didn't. She was really into like pacifism and like uh abolishing like the death penalty oh yeah there's not a lot of money in that no yeah (laughs) she she would she would go to bat for like people who were maybe gonna lose their houses like it it just was like sort of like public public interest law public defenders don't yeah public defenders don't really like yeah like like, okay, here's a good example. So when she she had her fucking law tests, what do you call them? They are the bar. There's the bar. The bar. 
fucking law tests as we know them. (laughs) Yeah. So she had already offended suffragists when in the middle of law exams, she failed to show up at Madison Square Garden to name a baby giraffe Miss Suffrage. What? So like (laughs) suffragists used her as like a PR figure, right? Like, like we need you to be at this totally fluff event that is just going to get us like yet another little (laughs) press piece. (laughs) And she's like, but I actually, I have to pass the bar. And they're like, fuck you. (laughs) Like, this is really important. If we don't name this giraffe, (laughs) we're never going to get the cause. (laughs) Yeah. And that dichotomy like existed throughout her life. Like she'd be working on law stuff and then she'd get pressure from like Alice Paul or other suffragists to like go to another parade. You guys, I'm busy. Yeah. It all comes back to horses. So basically, there was this one parade. It was a really big deal. It was in 1913. Woodrow Wilson had just gotten elected president. And um, it was a big deal because he was a Democrat. Um, Democrats meant a totally different thing back then, by the way. Um, Right. Yeah. sort Sort of changed in the 60s, mostly, right? I don't even know when it changed, but I know that back then it was like Democrats were kind of like Republicans were kind of better in a lot of ways. Uh, well, but Lincoln there, was Lincoln was a Republican, but then yeah. later LBJ was a Democrat, but he was like pro the war, but he was also pro civil rights. I, it was yeah, it's moved around a lot. It's moved around. Back then, it was, like, really different. And Wilson was, like, fairly conservative from the South. He was the first Democrat in office for, like, many rounds. And Democrats were, like, psyched, and Southern boys were psyched. So there was going to be this, like, big inauguration. So Alice Paul is, like, we should have a suffrage parade that same weekend. And we should deliver to Wilson this like request like right when he gets into office to be like we want the vote and Alice Paul was like a brilliant PR person um she was like all of the older suffragists like wrote her off because they were like who is this new bitch who's like only 20 whatever and says that we should be more like England like we've been doing this our whole lives we're in our 60s like we hate this girl um (laughs) and alice paul is like just just give me something let me do something and they're like okay you could take over our um our national suffrage office in dc because back then they were trying to go state by state campaigning for like a national amendment to the constitution was not a thing they were interested in anymore so they had this like old decaying office um in dc and they were like you could be ahead of that and she literally like had to clean it out when she got there like it was like dusty you know and she was but she was like i'll show them so she's she's going to um run this parade and she because she's a brilliant pr person she crafts this parade which seems very to us like the word parade feels like you know not that serious right like sounds like fun 
It is fun. And like she she's trying to make all of these images for media photographs and stuff. So everyone in the parade is like wearing costumes. Ooh. There's like all these women dressing up like the homemakers are a section, but also the women doctors are a section. And there's all these sections. And then it's going to end on the steps of like some big government building and they're going to do a, t- a series of tableaus which, which were very like fame, like cool at the time <laughs> um, about, you know, liberty. And who does she get to be head of the parade? Our girl. Inez. So, yeah. So Inez leads this parade. She's astride a white horse named Grey Dawn. Oh my God, I'm- I love it. It's sort of like Joan of Arc. Yes, and they make her look like like they do that on purpose. Like they make her look like sort of a classical heroine. I'm gonna send you a picture of Inez on Grey Dawn. Oh, she's so pretty! What right? an adventure! She looks like Lady Liberty. Yeah, she does. Yeah, that's true. They made her look kind of like the Statue of Liberty, which was like you know not that old at the pretty time. Pretty iconic. Pretty exciting. Yeah, she's psyched. Yeah, she's, she's not, really into it. She's not riding side saddle, right? She would never. No, no. Because she grew up on a farm, quote yeah. unquote. <laughs> sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a horse girl. And um, she leads the whole parade. And the, the point of having her lead the parade is that she's hot stuff. Like, she is the face of, you know, the new suffrage movement. Right. And, you know, thousands of women are, like, trailing behind her. The thing about this parade is it gets really rowdy because the crowd, the crowd is all these dudes who are in from the South who are, like, partying because they're there (laughs) for the inaugural weekend of Wilson. Right. And they're, like, drunk by the time the women start to They're basically holding tiki torches. Is that the picture you're painting here? Yeah. And... And the they're not Dutch corporation. They're like now known for. <laughs> they're not suffragists, you know. They're like no. dudes. They're bros. For whom they're bros. There's picture like millions of bros, and then these women Whoa. try to like parade down the street among millions of bros. Like it's bad. Like a like front row on a Saturday night. Yeah, I see. It. Yeah, yeah. But if a bunch of women start like marching down their street. <laughs> Like, like, it's just a nightmare. Like, they start throwing shit at the women. Mm -hmm. They are, like, hurling insults. The police force is way too... There's not enough of that. Basically, like, they rush the crowd. Like, it becomes, like, a (gasps) full-on riot. Yeah. And Inez is, like, at the front of it, like, trying to make her way down the parade route. And, like, there are thousands of men, bros, like, crowded around her horse. Um... So essentially the National Guard needs to be called in like because the crowd was like too much for the police force. Oh no. So the National Guard eventually comes. Yeah, and they like manage to sort of rush with horses like the the bros from the street and eventually the women finish the march but like everyone is traumatized. Especially the horses. And out- yeah, the poor horse. The poor horses do not come out well in this situation. No, um, and there's there's a million things you could say about this parade. Like maybe I'll do a whole episode on it sometime because I'm leaving a lot out. But like, 
the outcome of the parade is Alice Paul is like, okay, I'm going to call every newspaper and make sure that they cover the fact that these women were trying to peacefully parade and men wouldn't let them. Yeah. And it becomes a national disgrace and drums up all of this support for suffrage, which is a cause that like a lot of people didn't really think about until then. So, and, and the biggest image of the parade is Inez, like Inez on her white horse to the point where like the next several parades, there are many other parades after this one, because this one was such a success and like, None of them are as rowdy and shitty as this one turned out to be. Um, usually they're met with like support. But <laughs> Inez is like at the head of all of them. Like Inez does like several more parades in New York City. She's always on a horse. <laughs> she is she is the leader of the parade because people are like, this is the new woman. Like this is the suffragette. Wow. Um, yeah. So She's trying to do this like criminal defense kind of law at night or not at night, but like in her in her off time. And she's also trying to be on like all of these parades (laughs) like she has this weird double life, you know, (laughs) she's like Clark Kent and Superman. Yeah. Yeah. And in the meantime, she meets her husband. She meets Eugene, um, who is from Holland and is like. Very pro-woman, like, the book that I read, the Inez book, like, made a a point, a couple of points of saying that, like, at the time, there were a lot of men in, like, the Greenwich Village, like, artistic bohemian scene that claimed to be pro-woman, pro-suffrage, but, like, in their personal lives, still wanted a woman to, like, support them or prop them up. Right. But Eugene was, like, the real deal, according to this book. He like, was, yeah. He was, I think, he was a submissive, maybe. I think for sure he was <laughs> a, gr- a wonderful, loving bottom. Like, <laughs> yeah, he sounds like maybe he might have been. <laughs> and that's great. You know what? The world needs those. <laughs> yeah, he was so proud of Inez. He wanted her to be, like, he wanted her to, like, realize all her dreams Um, including her sexual dreams, like, she would go abroad and, like, fuck some dude and, like, write to him about it, you know? He was Um, like, yeah. (laughs) He was into it. He was was very committed to free love. Um, Yeah. At one point, they talk about how, like, they enjoy their separateness because they're together for, like, periods of time. But because of, like, Inez's personal life, like being sort of a public figure she has to like travel a lot and eugene is like he sees her like he'll see her for a month and then she'll go away for a month like going to europe was like a whole thing right and uh she'd be like i like us separate i love us when we're separate like i love when we write letters to each other um i love like coming home after a long time apart you know right it's kind of hot there's like that anticipation you know. Yeah, and it's not like they weren't like getting some when they 
were apart. Although Eugene kind of wasn't. Like Eugene, I think maybe would have wanted to be together a little more. Um, Like I think he was very supportive, but was also like, sometimes she would like be like, should I take this gig? And he'd be like, I was kind of hoping we'd spend the summer on the lake, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and she'd be like, yeah, I'm going to take the kick. And he'd be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was very, like, beloved by most people, though. Like, he was, he was also a very good, like, public figure husband. And he had, like, a bunch of... Dutch siblings. He had this like big Dutch family, and they would like go meet the big Dutch family. Um, Inez loved all of her nieces and nephews in Holland, and like were con- constantly like buying them stuff. Did they she have really? Kids? Wa- so oh. she really wanted to have a baby, and she couldn't. Oh no! Yeah, it's like one of the. Um, few causes of the time that she didn't take up that a lot of the people in her circle were like actively campaigning for was um the right for abortion you know um and she was like pro-abortion like if you asked her she'd be like yeah women should have the right to choose but she didn't really go after that one and i think she just had a lot of stuff about her own fertility oh yeah um. Yeah, she, there's a lot of letters of her writing to Eugene about like wanting to have a baby. That's really tough. I can tell you, it, <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, and like, I don't know. Like, eventually, you know, World War One happens because we're in the 19 teens, right? And Inez really wants to. She feels this book talks a lot about how she feels insecure. Like she feels insecure about like not doing anything big with law. And she feels insecure about not being able to have a baby. Um, And she feels insecure about like the whole time she and Eugene are like together. They are getting like an allowance from her dad. So, she wants them to be able to support themselves and they can't really do it. And Eugene probably, unfortunately for the both of them goes into the pneumatic tube business. Oh no. (laughs) Because he's like wanting to like cozy up to her dad who like hates him. Like her dad is like the one person who's like this idiot. Like I hate this. This simp. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he really doesn't. They elope also. They get married without telling anybody, which is like really pisses off her dad. And like he finds out via like the newspapers. (laughs) He reads about it on Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And eventually like they invite them over to Europe and he meets the family and he he warms up to Eugene enough to be like, you should be in the pneumatic tube business. (laughs) Just give bad financial advice. Yeah, and Eugene is like, sure, because he wants he wants the dad to like him. Oh, um, no. But pneumatic tube business is not doing great. Like, it just, it never really, like, they get somewhere, obviously, because some banks have pneumatic tubes and, like, but the postal, cert, like, it just never takes off well, the way they expected it to. it's hard to get, like, a national service of vacuum tubes just because there's so much, it would be so much infrastructure you'd have to build. 
Exactly. It's all about like getting the permits and stuff to build them and then like people to finance that. And like after the initial hype, it's really hard to get people to finance that. Um, So Eugene doesn't make a lot of money and then Inez isn't making a ton of money. So they're getting this allowance from the dad and Inez is just feeling shitty about herself um, because I'm sure... Like, being a public figure doesn't help either. Like, Well, knowing your looks are going to fade, right? Like, you're not Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So she winds up, um, she decides her big break is going to be covering the war. So she becomes a reporter and, like, travels to Italy to try and, like, cover the, like, spread of World War I to Italy. Whoa. Which is really badass for the time god um like she goes alone she does not go with eugene because eugene has pneumatic tube stuff to do in the u.s (laughs) and (laughs) important pneumatic tube business yeah she goes with um she gets an in with her old flame marconi who's italian she's a total failure like she doesn't really know how to be a reporter like, the pieces she writes are not, they're more soapboxy than reporting-y. Yeah. Um, and also, like, she can't, like, constantly in Italy, like, people give her shit for, like, people say only, like, prostitutes will sit at a table outside without their husband. Like, there's just all of these, oh. like, being alone things that... She can't, like, get to the front. Like, she is denied um, access to... Yeah. Yeah. She's denied access to a lot of the people she wants to interview. Um, So she she winds up writing these, like, sort of weird pieces where she just says her opinions as opposed to, like, reported pieces. Yeah. And the the Tribune, which is the paper who she's supposed to be working for, like, they don't publish them. Oh, no. Yeah, so she's in Italy and it's just a big flop. And she eventually, like, she travels to London a couple times because she hates Italy so much. And at least in London, she can, like, she knows London. She's lived there. And, like, she has a lover in London. Um, And at one point, she is, like, writing to Eugene. And she's writing about her lover in London. And Eugene is kind of, like, feeling insecure about it. And... He's like, it's fine that you have a lover, but, like, what about our baby? Like, are you going to have a baby with this guy? And, like... Oh, no. You're not even really in Italy, so, like, maybe you should just come home. Um, so, eventually, she just comes home. Oh, poor Eugene. I know. <laughs> yeah. So, basically, toward the end of... Uh, the Closer to the end of this century... She winds up getting recruited by Alice Paul to do this big time campaign in the West. So Alice Paul at the time, she's running the Congressional Union, which has split from the National Women's Party, like because they they have unreconcilable differences, which is like they want to pick it. They don't want to elect. They want to take political stands. So they print like lists of politicians that are pro-suffrage and anti-suffrage and they're like we will only support the politicians that are pro-suffrage which seems like a normal ass thing to do but at the time was cutting edge 
yeah, it was really, people really disagreed with it. They were like, because the women in charge of the National Women's Party were like, suffrage is not like about people. It's about the idea. And Alice Paul is like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's about the people who will vote it in or not. Um, Right. Yeah. You need to. Yeah. Who does the voting? People. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Alice Paul. Wilson is up for reelection. Alice Paul is like. We cannot let Wilson get reelected because he's he he never says he's anti-suffrage, but he's like the most wishy-washy of humans about it. Like he's yeah. basically anti-suffrage. He's kind of like Obama, like before Obama was pro-gay marriage, where he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> well, Obama like had like a come to Jesus moment that he writes about in one of his books where like he re- he like talked to somebody and it completely changed his mind where he's like, oh, my God, I never really thought about it this way. Because he was, like, religious, and somebody was like, well, how would you feel if your kid was gay or something? And he was like, oh. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he had, like, one conversation. I mean, I'm sure, like, in reality, it was probably several conversations. But in the book, it was like he had, like, a moment. Do you believe that, though? Because no. I don't. I do not. <laughs> I feel like he just was biding his time until it was, like, politically advantageous to be pro-gay marriage yeah i mean the thing is i'm not sure he was ever because he was like really religious at one point and not was he ever pro-gay marriage i don't know or was it just like what his party seemed to want and honestly i'm not sure i even care what he wants because like either you're gonna vote for it or you're not i like i don't really give a shit like whether you believe it i just care about whether you enact it like i don't care what your thoughts are i care about what your actions are and he did it so i i can't give a shit people like oh well that you know like Hillary was, um, she was inauthentic. Well, I don't give a shit. What was she going to vote for? Like, I don't care. She's inauthentic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point. And Wilson was like, when, at the beginning of his campaign, when women delivered to him that like petition after the parade to be like, can you, will you support votes for women? He's like, oh, I never really thought about it. (laughs) <laughs> which is not fucking true. Like, of course he's thought about it. It is a, it's been a political issue since the 1870s. Like, and he keeps putting them off with like these things that are like, oh, maybe someday. Or like, that's an interesting idea. I'll give it some consideration. And he just like is so patronizing about it. Yeah. Um, And Alice Paul is like, fuck this guy. We're going to campaign against him. That's so- an interesting <laughs> idea, little lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So Alice Paul sends this this group of women. She calls it um, the Congressional Union Special Flying Envoy. Yes. To special Flying Envoy. They don't really fly. They take trains. But I guess that's the idea. Um, mm. She sends them to the West to campaign against Wilson. And basically... Um, they're supposed to like do speeches at various like Western towns from like Chicago all the way to LA. Um, And it's like a day here, a day there, like the travel schedule is grueling Um, and they have to give speeches and meet with people at like all of these locations. So it's like, it is an exhausting mission. Oh no. And guess who she wants on the job? Our girl. Of course. Well, she's she's very pretty. <laughs> she's very pretty. She's very pretty. And she also... Um, she's also good at PR. 
She is. She's really good at PR. People love her. Like she's a good speaker. And um, she's they want her specifically to do speeches at some of these places. Inez is like not sure whether she wants to do it because she does not feel good. Like she has been unhealthy for a little bit. Oh, she, no. She's, yeah, she's afflicted with some kind of like ex- like general exhaustion. And um, yeah, she's just not doing well. And she also is like kind of depressed from the whole Italy thing. Although she thinks to herself, like, maybe if I do this, maybe it'll feel good because it'll be like something I can do, like you know, that myself works. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But who like the whole time it's like when she feels bad about herself, it's like she's competing against herself. Like no one's like Inez is a is full of shit. Like it's all internal stuff. Um, so she's trying to decide whether to go. And then her dad is like, you should go. And he's like, I'm going to fund your trip. I'll give you 500 bucks. Which was a lot Um, back then, guys. So much money. And he actually kind of had his own reason for her to go. Like, I'm not saying he wasn't supportive of his daughter, but also the Democrats were probably going to dump the pneumatic tube system. Uh. (laughs) So he really wanted a Republican in office. Um and her sister Vita went with her too, um, which sort of swayed her even like she wasn't the gorgeous one, um, but she had her own shit going on. Like she was a suffragist. She was a singer. Um, she planned to perform at every location they went to. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she'd be like, bye guys. And then she'd like go sing somewhere at a concert. And she also was reporting on the campaign for the suffragists, which is the Congressional Union paper. Um, so they had this whole plan, but essentially like on this trip, like Inez gets worse and worse. (gasps) Like she sees a doctor, one of the early stops in because she's like, oh, this is, this is fucked up. Like I do not feel good. And the doctor is like, you kind of maybe have anemia, but you seem okay. He called her like. He said something about her beauty, which is really fucked up. He was mm-hmm. like, oh, she's really physically great. Uh, she's a stunner. Per- she can't have anything wrong. He prescribes arsenic and strychnine. Oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, for no. just, you know, just general. Old timey. <laughs> just make it worse kind of poison, slow oh, poisons. No. Um, which sucks. Um so she's in LA. Um, she's been doing this for a while. Um, she's in the middle of giving a speech and she faints. She collapses in the middle of the speech. What did you say about fainting before you said, Oh, like a woman might faint if they're Yes, I did say that. On the stand. Yeah. So she also has that fear. Like she basically she faints. She like gets helped off the stage and she's like, I got to go back. Like they can't say that a woman fainted during a suffrage speech. Yeah. Like just politically, it would be disastrous. Yeah. Um, so she manages to go back, stand for a little bit and finish the speech because she doesn't want like female frailty to be a, a headline. Um, 
And then basically she goes to a hospital and gets prescribed or gets uh, diagnosed with... <laughs> Bleach. They gave it- her leeches for this. <laughs> well, so she has something called aplastic anemia. Okay. It's a kind of anemia that is... Your body does not make red blood cells right. Oh, my God. It's People can still have this, but it's treatable now. Um, back then, it wasn't. Um, and she just gets sicker and sicker in the hospital. And the whole time, or the first few days, like, Alice Paul is wiring her being like, you have to come back. Like, you have to keep doing the tour. It would be disastrous for you to not finish this tour. Um and eventually, like, Vita, who's usually sort of the meeker one, she has to put her foot down. And she's like, Alice Paul, back the fuck off. My sister is dying. Um, dick. Yeah. And <gasps> essentially, like, eventually Eugene gets there. But it takes everyone a while to get there. And the fi- her parents are able to get there, like, right before she dies. Oh, she dies. She dies. Oh, I, I thought she was going to be, like, a wizened old lady with a bunch of adopted children. I didn't realize she was going to die. She dies. She dies, like, in her, I want to say, 30s. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize she was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of, like, a cruel storyteller, I kind of kept that part from you. Oh, no, baby, no. <laughs> so she never got old. She never, you know, she never Helen Mirren did up. She never got to see her beauty change, right? Speech. In one of her speeches, she talks about how suffrage, it's like a suffrage speech, but she talks about like supporting oneself. And she's like saying like, when you're working, you don't feel pain. When you're working, you're not, um, you're not plagued by doubt. Like she just basically is like, this is why I'm a workaholic. <laughs> Here's the actual quote from Inez. When one is on the job, one hasn't time to think of physical ailments. When one is on the job, one hasn't time for pettiness and meanness of vision. Oh, man. (laughs) And it's just like, baby, like, I wish I wish you didn't work so hard. You know, like, I wish you had like maybe seen a doctor sooner and like not gone on that like grueling tour. Is there a Um, way to survive that? Like if you were not killing yourself, like if she had lived like a really quiet life, would she still die of that? That's a good question. I mean, that might have just happened to her in time. I mean, she might have just died. I mean, it's like my husband went, um, went um, lactose intolerant. It just happened. I mean, his body was just like, no more. You can't, you can't have milk or cheese anymore. It's over for you. Like, I, I, it would have happened. I think no matter what he had eaten, you know, it's just, his body was tired of doing that digestive process. It's possible that, you know, no matter what she had done, even if she had like, you know, quietly birthed, you know, one perfect child and spent her days at the at the farm eating bonbons, it still would have happened. You're right. That's a really good point. And I mean, they tried to treat it. It's funny. I'm reading that early treatment might include blood transfusions. And they tried to do a blood transfusion with her sister. But it was like one of those like early fucking blood transfusions where they were just like in hospital beds next to each other, like hooked up to some tubes, you know? (laughs) Yes. It'll be in the show notes. And I I wonder if it's the kind of thing that like. 
Because I do feel like this book painted a picture of a woman who is going too hard. And maybe that's part of why I connected to this story so much. Um, Because I've been thinking a lot about going too hard. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you you think you have been going too hard or you want to go harder? No. I just think it's sad that she felt like she was always a failure. She felt like she had to do all these things. And then she fucking died. And certainly I don't do nearly like a third of the things that Inez Milholland did in the 1910s. (laughs) But everything feels overwhelming to me. Everything. And I am currently working freelance. I'm not working a full-time job because my full-time job was like too much. And I'm trying to be okay with that. And I think that's why I'm partially connecting to stories that are like, if you go too hard... You'll it die. can really fuck you up. Yeah, I'm but just like, trying not also to die. The- it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I'm trying not to die. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, there's a part of you that thinks you're not doing enough, even though it's what you need to do for your mental health. Yeah. But like, there's a part of you that's like, well, why can't I, you know, like have a wife and eat kids and and there's a part of a me that feels and- <laughs> lazy and like a failure. Yes. So- and. I don't know. I, I think I connect to the fact that she also always felt lazy and like a failure, even though she was doing all this. Stuff. I think a lot of historical figures felt that way. I mean, you sort of like, like Kurt Cobain killed himself, right? And you're like, oh my God, he was like number one. He was at the top of the charts. He was killing it. Well, you know, I think even really famous and successful people often feel like failures and frauds. Yeah. Yeah. I often feel like a failure. There's this woman who moved in across the street from me who's lovely. I really like her. She has three children, three dogs, and she's in grad school. Oh, my God. What a nightmare. <laughs> and she's always, she's always outside running with the dogs. She, she's like, she runs all the time. She exercises all the time. She looks great. One of the kids is like a newborn. The kid's like one max. She's like, she puts the kid like in a, like a running backpack, and she's out there with the dogs and the kid and on the backpack, and she's hot. And I'm like, how do you sleep? What are you doing in there? What is your life? (gasps) Yeah, I mean, I have two sisters who go really hard, uh, who seem to accomplish many, many things. And um, like, one of them has a baby and is like a big time doctor. And my brother is also great. But I think both me and him are sometimes are more often like, I need to just need to sit quietly for a day. (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, wow, why can't I be more like my sisters, you know? I don't know. I bet you if you ask them, like, do you feel like you're nailing it? They'll probably be like, I'm not sure I'm nailing it. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. Everyone feels inadequate. And also, who cares about working? (laughs) Like, if you work or don't work, like, you're still a worthwhile person regardless. I really do believe that. It's just more moments of weakness that I feel the... One thing that makes me sad about Inez is that I think she really bought the whole idea of the new woman. Like she really swallowed that pill. And like, I think she felt bad that she wasn't a good reporter. And she felt bad that like, maybe she didn't accomplish as much in law. And she wasn't like, necessarily acknowledging like the the amount she managed to accomplish, despite like the incredible resistance she met. Yeah. Poor but at least she she got to have a lot of sex, so at least there's that. <laughs> Good for you, girl. Get it, girl. Also, 
I should say too, at the end of her life, so after she died, like she became a martyr. Like Vita, who was also a suffragist, like wrote to Alice Paul and she was basically like, so yeah, we're not doing the tour anymore because my fucking sister's dead. Um, <laughs> oh no. And like the, what you can do for us now is you can, no, she didn't say it like this because she was like a nice lady and not like me. But if I were her, I would have said like the least you can fucking do is like make Inez like the symbol. Yeah. And, and that's sort of what she said, but nicer. She was like, you know, you could use this media opportunity. Um, my sister worked her whole life for suffrage and like she died because of it. Like, because essentially she died while working for suffrage while pushing herself so hard. Yeah. And Alice Paul was just like, yeah, I think Alice Paul felt bad. <laughs> That's fair. I can't. I can't know for sure, but I think she probably regretted those telegrams, uh, <laughs> <laughs> where she was just like, "Get up off your ass, <laughs> you lazy bitch." Yeah. Um. So they had this like huge funeral, and like flags were half masked everywhere, and there were like written people wrote poems about her. You know, even in death, she was still a symbol, right? Like, instead of a person. Um, Here's a quote from a suffragist. I am still too dazed and stunned over the cruel rapaciousness of death in taking all this youth and beauty and ability from us. It is like depriving the desert of some oasis. Oh, no. Yeah. Um Paul said, Alice Paul said, Inez Milholland has this day finished a work for her sisters that will not be forgotten, um, which is kind of, she wasn't very flowery. So that's kind of a really good one from Alice Paul. <laughs> that's it. That's the best she got. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's all these reformers said stuff about her. There are millions of speeches and, um, Eugene actually went on to marry, not right away. Uh, eventually, he moved on and married someone else kind of famous. He married Edna St. Vincent Millay. I don't know who that is. She was like a big time. She, you know, the, the term burning the candle at both ends. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's from that's from a poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay. Oh, okay. um, she was like a famous bohemian. She was by. Um, she was like, she was like a famous poet in her time. And she was also had a lot of lovers into free love, like had a lot of the same ideals as Inez and like, like he was with Inez, like Eugene devoted himself to like propping up Edna St. Vincent Millay's career and taking Eugene care of her. Eugene is the secret hero of the story. Right? I really love Eugene. I, I just relate to Eugene a little bit, I think. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just love him. And like, I don't know. Um in uh Edna St. Vincent Millay wrote a poem about Inez Mulholland, like only had like the most respect for like her husband's first wife. Aww. Um yeah, it's really she, nice because usually we aren't fond of our current lovers' exes. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it might have been more complicated if she wasn't dead and there was a divorce, but like she was this martyr. And, and didn't really get divorced back then, did they? They were starting to get divorced, okay. but it was not super normal. Okay. Um, yeah, it was happening, but not at the level that it is now happening. And uh, Edna actually was like in college when like, she went to Vassar too, and she was at Vassar when Inez came back and like did a speech or some kind of like alumni thing, and she was like deeply inspired by her then. So it's like kind of wild that she then like married Eugene. Um, just like a weird coincidence. He just he had a type. He did. He he loved like a, a like a hot, successful Bohemian woman. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, good for him. Yeah. Here's a poem Edna St. Vincent Millay wrote called To Inez Milholland. She read it at an unveiling of a statue of several suffragettes. Inez was not among those figureheads, but the poem is called To Inez Milholland. Upon this marble bust, that is not I lay the round formal wreath that is not fame. But in the forum of my silenced cry, root ye the living tree whose sap is flame. I that was proud and valiant am no more, save as a dream that wanders wide and late, save as a wind that rattles the stout door, troubling the ashes in the sheltered grate. The stone will perish, I shall be twice dust. Only my standard on a taken hill can cheat the mildew and the red-brown rust and make immortal my adventurous will. Even now the silk is tugging at the staff. Take up the song, forget the epitaph. Yeah, so that's that's the story of Inez Milhall. I like the yeah. twist at the end. No, I didn't like the twist. I was very sad. <laughs> Can I tell you something I learned this week in case I have to turn this into two episodes? Sure. <laughs> I Why is my mind thing. a blank? I also I'm found out recently to... that um, the Gypsy Moth, which is a terrible name, has been re- renamed the Spongy Moth because like, they have spongy little tents. So they've renamed that. Very nice. And do you know that the caterpillars have different growth spurts and every single time they shed and they grow into like a bigger one it's called an instar and they have like five instars so the sponge moths have different kinds of caterpillars so we were seeing these little ones and we were like well they don't look right but we think that they're from these sponge moths so we looked it up and it turns out there's like the newborn and then it molts and then it's a little bigger and then it molts and it gets like more complicated with each molting and larger wow instars Mm-hmm. In stars. Mm-hmm. So wait, an instar is the version of them in. Is it a multi? Is it like referring to the molting specifically, or it's like is it the version? It's like version two point version three point oh. And then it wow. cocoons, and then it becomes a moth, just like a general looking moth. Which instar do you think you're in? Oh God, I feel like I'm just a noob. I feel like I'm just trying so hard. Maybe second <laughs> instar. I feel like I am. Let's see one. 
I'm, I think I'm starting my fourth instar. Oh. Eventually, I will become a moth. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you look up the, the sponge moth, like, final form, it's not too exciting. I'm definitely not going to turn into a butterfly. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with the moth. Some moths are really pretty. I mean, it does all right. It does all right for itself. It has those really great, like, fluffy antennae. Like, really good fluff, if you look it up. Did you know you can... um? You can plant specific native plants in order to attract specific types of moths. I I knew that you can do milkweed and for monarchs or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I went, because I'm the biggest nerd in all the land, I went to a lecture (laughs) for fun with an insectologist. And he was talking about all the like, because he's he's really, being an insectologist, really into moths. and he was like, some moths are like really beautiful. And he like showed us these pictures of like, I planted like weird ass flower you've never heard of. And then I got these moths, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was like, I want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. I love you so much. Yeah. You just listened to Research Hall. I'm Val Howlett. Our music is by Joey Howlett. Our logo is by Leah Felicity Lucci. You can subscribe to Val Howlett on Patreon for more goodies like interview clips, bonus materials, and more. Goodbye.